Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Our topic today is immigration. We have three guests with us, two in the studio and one on the phone. Christy Pop is here. She's the directing attorney of Immigrants and Language Rights Center at Indiana Legal Services Incorporated. And Rindy Schrader is also in the studio, director of International Student and Scholar Advising the IU Office of International Services. And joining us by phone is Cherie Calabro, who's the co-founder of the Indiana Federation for Immigration Reform and Enforcement. hope I pronounced that right, Cherie. Yes. All right. Thank you. Uh, The phone number is to call if you want to join us, 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free, 877-285-9348. The website is wfiu.org. Slash noon edition. You can go there to join a live chat. Um, I wanted to uh, give you a little bit of background. Um, uh, the uh, we're going to be talking about Indiana's immigration laws, which were proposed by Senator Mike Delf of Carmel. Um, after the bill passed uh, in the last legislative session, it's come under fire both from the ACLU and the federal government. There are lawsuits currently pending in federal courts against Indiana and Alabama's tough new immigration laws. So we're going to be talking about uh, those laws, how they came about, and uh, what kind of effect they're having on Hoosiers today. So thank you all for being here. Really Hi, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, really appreciate you all joining us. I'm going to, talk, I'm going to uh, start with Cherie because uh, you, I assume, from uh, your um, – the, the information I have about the Indiana Federation for Immigration Reform and Enforcement, that you would, were a supporter of Mike Delft's uh, bill. Yes, we supported the bill, and we testified in support of it, and we arranged for witnesses like Michael Cutler, the former INS agent, to come and testify in support of the bill. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that uh, his bill was necessary uh, and is good for Indiana? Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that illegal immigration has a terrible impact on our economy. And at a time when we have so many Hoosiers out of work, we need all those jobs for our own citizens and the legal immigrants that are in our state. Mm -hmm. And we think this bill, particularly the E-Verify portion of the bill, will move us in the right direction on encouraging illegals to leave until such time as they can comply with our immigration laws. Okay. Can you explain a little more about the uh, E-Verify portion of the bill? E-Verify is a program run by the Department of Homeland Security and the Social Security Administration where an employer takes information from a new hire, um, and this is all new hires, citizens, immigrants, and illegals, and runs it through those government databases. And it's just basic information like their social security number, date of birth, things that would be on the I-9 form. Then the uh, agencies tell that employer whether or not the person is authorized to work in the United States. And one thing that's important about that is a lot of the illegal workers are visa overstays, and it will help to catch them as well as illegals who walk across our border. Okay. I want to ask uh, Christy and Randy to uh, sort of offer your point of view on, on the law and how, how it's affected um, people in, that you work with. Christy? Okay. Well, the, the law itself is, I, I think there are probably some bad po- points to it. Um, the The question of whether immigrant workers take jobs from citizens. I don't think it's settled by any means. And in fact, many immigrant workers do not 
have the exact same type of qualifications. They're not really in direct competition. Citizens don't usually do the same jobs that immigrant workers do. E-Verify itself has many issues. They haven't been, the bugs aren't worked out. This is why Congress hasn't mandated it. It's not federally mandated. It's only each state that has passed these laws are making it um, mandatory for businesses here. It catches people. For example, there are certain people, say citizens, who maybe have naturalized, and their social security number may not check. So they may be flagged for being a non someone who doesn't have authorization to work. So that's one problem with it. And I think the statute as a whole, the new law, is really targeted towards, and I'm not going to use the word illegals because I think that's kind of an offensive word, but towards undocumented workers. And, And there are a lot of people here who are in mixed families that they may be trying... It's going to hurt a lot of these mixed families. It's going to maybe some people will leave the state, but those are we're going to lose citizen workers as well because they're they're married to an undocumented worker. Mm-hmm. Okay, Randy, I see. And the implication is it of the law as it opposed as it applies to uh, students that are here studying in the United States. Um, I know specifically of three cases where the students would be eligible for the DREAM Act if it passed, um, where uh, these students were brought in as children. Uh, They have done nothing – there's nothing within their control uh, to allow them to to remain legal. And the laws that apply to the university – force us to go through every single student and verify whether or not they were a citizen of the United States um, or uh, eligible to be in the United States and then um, change how we're applying scholarships or jobs within the university. Uh, And the hardship that that has posed for the university as well as for some of the students that um, were deemed undocumented or labeled undocumented has been uh, severe, Mm -hmm. particularly for those students. Mm-hmm. Well, so these are some of the people, the three cases you're referring to are people who grew up in the United States, have been here their whole lives, but... Been here since they were two or three yeah. or five, or uh-huh. in one case, we had um, a couple of students who came in uh, legally as dependents, um, and the principal that that they were dependents of passed away. They were stuck. They have no options here in the United States because they had been here for a while. They were they were getting scholarship money. They were uh, given in-state rates. This law prevented them from getting in-state rates. Sheree, mm-hmm. I want to give you a chance to uh, to respond to the things you've heard, and then we're going to go to the phones. But Sheree, first. Okay. Um, as far as people being undocumented. That is really far from the case. They have plenty of documentation, but most of it is false. Um, I spoke to a personnel manager who said that one of the employees who had applied for a job was rejected through E-Verify, and he told the person they had a problem with their ID. And they said, ID, you need ID? Here, I have plenty of ID. And they pulled multiple false identities, identity cards out of her purse. And um, on another issue, in-state tuition, it seems to be rewarding illegal behavior by the parents, and that is something that we should avoid. It is a tremendous cost to Hoosier taxpayers. There are plenty of Hoosiers that need our help as far as going to college is concerned. There are parents who have lost their jobs in this terrible economy and are struggling to keep their kids in college. There are college students who are American-born who are paying the full rate. Um, it, the difference between in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition is almost $20,000 a year at Indiana University, and that difference is picked up by the taxpayers, and they should not be required to pay that um, to the detriment of their own American-born students. They're paying for more competition against their own children. Uh, I want to ask you, I'm going to let our panelists in here respond. Uh, looks like a good d- good debate we're going to be having here today. Um, I think Christy mentioned that the, the, the uh, jury is still out on whether undocumented or illegal uh, workers are taking jobs uh, that citizen workers would typically have. I know that I've I've heard uh, some 
news stories. I can't quote the the exact studies, but news stories, that at least anecdotally, would say that uh, I believe in Alabama and, and some southern states that there have been um, were, uh, employers that have not been able to get employees because of the tough new laws. Um, can you respond to that? Well, yes. Pew Hispanic Research Center does excellent research on this, and they say that there are 8.3 million unauthorized immigrants currently working in the United States today. Now, uh, about 20% of them are working in construction. Um, There's another over 20% that are working in things like manufacturing, food preparation, hotels, uh, transportation, and things like that. So there is evidence that unauthorized immigrants are taking jobs that Americans do and want to do. They aren't all working in the fields picking crops. Okay. Christy? Well, I just wanted to respond to a couple of the points about the the schools. Um, one fundamental thing that has been important for our immigration laws over the hundreds of hun- around 100 years that we've had immigration laws, is that we don't punish children for the crimes of their parents. I think that's pretty fundamental in the United States just generally. So when we're talking about these students who would qualify for the DREAM Act, many of them came here as children. They may not speak the language of their country, or if they do, they may not speak it well. Some of them do speak fluently, I will admit that, but they don't remember their home country. In many cases, their whole families are here. They are taxpayers. Their families have paid taxes. And that's just the case in general for undocumented immigrants here. Um, They pay taxes, and they don't take out of the Social Security or Medicaid, Medicare. Most people who are here without status are not allowed to get public benefits. So to say that that the taxpayers of Indiana are footing the bill, well, their parents are taxpayers. And it's just really fundamentally unfair to make them pay out-of-state tuition when they grew up in the state of Indiana. I want to give you our phone numbers again, uh, 812-812. Well, the local number is 855-0811. And the toll-free number, if you're outside of Bloomington, 877-285-9348. The uh, web address, if you want to join a live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition. We did have a caller, but uh, our conversation has gone on pretty long, so uh, we, we lost that caller. So hopefully... Uh, she'll call back. Sheree, tell me a little bit about your organization. I know that you're the co-founder for the Indiana Federation of Immigration Reform and Enforcement. Um, how did your organization come come to be, and where do you get funding? And, and just tell me a little bit more about uh, iFire. Well, we started in about 2003-2004. Our mission is to educate citizens and policymakers about the negative impact of uncontrolled immigration. And we encourage citizens to get involved in both uh, state and federal government as far as policymaking is concerned. And we provide through our Facebook page and our website reliable information to teach people about the problems of illegal immigration. So we're all about informing people and uh, getting them to be participants, active participants, in the shaping of policy on this issue. What got you to be so passionate about that? this to become co-founder of this organization? Well, actually, it was a former civil rights activist by the name of Tony Brown who had a radio show on WLS, and I was oblivious about any problems with illegal immigration. But he was talking about its negative impact on American workers and especially minorities in America. And he challenged his listeners to look up the information he was talking about, and I did. And when I started researching it, I just got more and more upset about the unfairness of it all. And I started researching it, and when I did, um, I decided I had to do something. And I met up with Greg Serban, who's our state director, and we started iFire. And where does your funding come from now to continue the work that you're doing? Well, most of it comes from a few dedicated local people. Um, 
a lot of it has really come out of Greg's pocket and mine. We don't have very many costs, really, um, except for upkeeping our website mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Let's go to the phone. So we have David on the line. David? Hi. Uh, I'm a uh, legal permanent resident here. I moved to Indiana about nine years ago, and I'm from Canada. And I'd like to say that the use of the term undocumented to refer to people who are here, these people did, while some people consider it minorly, some people consider it majorly, they have broken the laws of the United States, and they are here illegally. And to use the term undocumented just seems to be used to obfuscate the issue and cover up kind of what people may have may or not have done, whether people believe that's a serious crime or not. And I'll, um, I'll hang up. Okay. Hear my, hear my answer. All right, David. Thank you, Thanks. David. Christy? I use the term undocumented to mean no immigration documents. There's no term in the Immigration Act that refers to an illegal immigrant. That term does not apply. And the reason is that people in the United States, this, I mean, he said, David said it's a major crime or a minor crime. It's just not a crime to be here without documentation. It's not a crime, period. It's a civil administrative violation. Mm-hmm. So that implies then if it's not a crime, you can't be detained or, or put in jail for that. You can't be detained or put in jail in a criminal proceeding. Um, You can be removed. You can be detained by the immigration authorities. It's an administrative offense. Interesting. Okay. Okay. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. The web address, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Christy, could you talk about some of the other issues involved with immigration that, that you have been involved with? Um, Well, right now, as many people, I think, realize the number of aliens or immigrants who are being detained and removed has increased a lot. So we're seeing a lot of that. The many states, including Indiana and Monroe County, have some form of agreement with the federal government. So in Monroe County, if you're an immigrant and you are detained and arrested for a, a criminal reason, that information is shared with immigration and a lot of uh, a lot of aliens for that foreign nationals for that reason are being put into removal proceedings. They're being caught at the jail. So we're seeing a lot of that. Um, the last few years under the Obama administration, um, we've seen the number of deportations increasing. There are around 400,000 a year right now. Mm-hmm. Many of the people who are being removed are being removed if they haven't committed crimes at all or if they have, it's a minor offense such as driving without a license. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's go back to the phones and stand. Stan? Hi. Uh, I, would, I would like to hear some immigration attorneys' views on the system and, and the way the laws are applied. I had a friend who had considerable trouble getting permission uh, for some aliens to uh, legally come to this country, and one of the processes involved was to see that if the job that the immigrant, uh, would-be immigrant, was interested in would uh, be preferred for a U.S. citizen. And I realize these are higher-level jobs, more professional jobs, but it seems to me the evidence on uh, lower-level labor, especially in in the farm and agricultural fields, is, is very clear that we need these people. Well, I'll just respond, uh, maybe give a little bit of background on immigration law. I think if there's one thing that Sheree and I do agree on, and I'm speaking for her without having ever met her, it's that the immigration law is broken. Um, In my perspective, it's broken because we make it very, very difficult for people to come to the United States. One common thing that people who are for immigration reform say is, why don't they come here legally? Why are they here illegally? And the the reason is because it's nearly impossible for them to immigrate here. Uh, the, to, to come to the United States, you have to have an attachment to a family member or an employer with some limited availability for people who have fled persecution. You also, if you have only certain family members can petition for other family members. 
Citizens can petition for parents, children, spouses, and brothers and sisters, and permanent residents can apply for spouses and unmarried children. In addition, they have to get a visa. There's a limited number of visas available each year, and the backlogs are now, say, 20 to 30 years that someone will have to wait to bring a relative over to the United States. And during that time, it's very unlikely that that relative will be able to visit. So we're talking about the separation of families for 20 years or 30 years. Same with employers. There are long waits to get a visa, especially if you're an unskilled worker. The waits are um, not quite as long as for family members, but fairly long as well. Give me a little history lesson, if, if you would. I mean, I think a lot of people believe, um, you know, we hear about the melting pot and, and our borders are open and people can come here. And obviously what you're saying is, no, that's not true. I mean, how how has that sort of transpired over the years? Well, the immigration laws have changed many times over the years. It's a very political law. So as we disfavor one group of people and favor another group of people, we've altered the law. So the first, some of the first laws that we would recognize as immigration laws were passed in the late 1800s and early 1920s, setting quotas. And the quotas were set based on, for example, in the 1920s, the quota system was based on who had come here first. So it was capped at about, I think, 2 or 3% of the people who already had a representative group in the U.S., so it favored Europeans because Europeans had come earlier. And then, and there were also bans on Asians. We couldn't have Asians here. And these have changed over the years. In the 1960s, we did away with race-based quotas in general and have just a general quota system that applies supposedly equally to everybody. Um, so that uh, today the system is supposed to be equal and fair. I think there are some disparities in that there are certain groups that try that there are more people trying to come in than in other groups, and so that's why uh, there are long backlogs for someone from Mexico, for example, or India, and fewer from, say, France. Okay. All right. Well, let's go back to the phones. We have Wright on the phone. Right. Yes. Hi. Um, just uh, uh, as somebody who was born here, raised outside here, and for all practical purposes, um, both my view me as uh, being from the outside, uh, I would say getting in is very, very hard. We make it extremely hard to get in. So it's no surprise you have some people uh, who would who would jolly well come in legally, but it's very hard. Secondly, there are studies that show that the net effect of uh, immigrants is re- has really been positive. It's just the immediate uh, uh, effect is felt negatively. But I, I don't know that uh, it's a challenge for us. I think it's a challenge for us, but I don't think it's an, uh, impossible to resolve. I'd like to hear comments on that. Because you know, immigrants bring uh, a lot of business in. The, the children turn out to, to do a whole lot better in some cases, in many cases, in fact, because they have to. So all that net effect is not being talked about when you hear, you know, some comments about immigrants coming in. I'll, I'll, I'll all right. off the air. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Randy, do you want to respond to that? Sure. Um, and I, I don't think uh, Sheree is arguing about um, – she's talking about the negative impact of uncontrolled immigration. I think uh, we can all be in agreement that immigration as a whole has benefited the U.S. Um, and – I'm very supportive of legal immigration, and I would like to see several reforms to the to the to the laws. But I think we're finding um, that immigrants over time have greatly benefited the U.S. And if we look now at the STEM fields, we need uh, legal immigrants to be involved in the STEM fields in order to make the U.S. continue to be competitive. Um, we need international students on campus because we need to prepare our students to be global citizens. Uh, so, right, I, I, I can't agree with you more that uh, that we have neglected the topic of uh, how good legal immigrants are and what a benefit immigration is to the United States. Um, I wanted to add one thing to um, help clarify Stan, the answer to Stan's question. Um, when there are when a job is posted and someone is getting employment based permission to stay in the United States, um, in order to get permanent residency based on that job, they do have to prove that there's no American more qualified than that person in order to get that job. So that's yet another hurdle. But I think that's what Stan was referring to in his question. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Sherry, I want to give you an opportunity to answer that about the 
the positive aspects of, of uh, immigration, and then we're going to have to take a break. So, Sheree? Yes, I think immigration, legal immigration, has been good for our country. And um, I would also like to see our immigration laws cleaned up so that it is easier to immigrate. However, um, we need to also think of American workers, American students, and American families, American jobs. And I think the tendency has been to focus on the immigrants more than on what's good for our country as a whole. Um, the United States allows more legal immigrants than all other countries combined. In fact, most of the legal immigrants are coming from Mexico. Therefore, it's not too difficult for people to obey our immigration laws because plenty of people are doing it. We had some legal immigrants testify in support of Senate Bill 590 that they were able to immigrate and to follow all the rules to do it legally, just as the caller David did. So I think we need to respect those people as well and find a balance here. And I think we have gone overboard in favor of the illegals. Um, and part of the way that um, that has been done is to conflate illegal aliens with legal immigrants. For example, when Senate Bill 590 was being debated last year, um, they put out a study saying that $2.3 billion in taxes were paid by immigrants. However, they did not tell you how that broke down. $1.2 billion of that was from naturalized citizens who are legal, who are actually citizens. So I don't know how they ended up in that category. $900 million of that was from green cards, from people who have permission to be here and are, again, in the United States working legally. And only $250 million of that amount was due to illegal aliens in our country. So that's the way the, the argument is kind of uh, skewed, by lumping all immigrants together. All right. Oh, all right, Cherie, I'm going to cut you off here because we're going to have to take a short break. You can finish that thought after the break if you uh, have more that you want to say about that. You can join the program by calling 855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348. The uh, web address, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Our topic today is uh, immigration and Indiana's uh, new tougher immigration law. With us in the studio are Christy Pop, Directing Attorney of Immigrants and Language Rights Center at Indiana Legal Services Incorporated, Rindy Schrader, the Director of International Student and Scholar Advising uh, at in the IU Office of International Services. And joining us by phone from Indianapolis is Cherie Calabro, who's the co-founder of Indiana Federation for Immigration Reform and Enforcement. If you have questions or comments, phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 877-285-9348. 
the web address, wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can go there for a live chat and send us questions or comments. We have Mike, who's been patiently waiting on the phone since before the break. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, hi. I, there's a question at the end of this, but I wanted to bring up one point with immigration. Is um, The biggest discrimination with our immigration is same-sex couples in the United States. I have many friends who have been with their... Um, whose partners have come legally in the United States, especially at IU, under student visas. And uh, since I, or since Indiana doesn't have uh, a marriage law, which doesn't matter anyways because the federal government doesn't recognize marriage rights or partner rights of same-sex couples, many of these people have had to go illegal. They're highly skilled. Uh, their visas have expired, yet they are... Um, yet the prejudice of our federal government and our society doesn't allow these couples same-sex benefits and immigration and the immigration aspect yet if a straight couple wanted to marry uh an immigrant um it's different even if i mean automatically they can go through the procedures and that person can qualify to stay and so where we are as a country now is people are having to hide their families there's uh they're scared and with this new law they're scared to get detected um they have to lie and hide uh, because of the people they choose to love um and i think that really says a lot about our society and about uh, people who want tougher immigration laws, and they don't take these sorts of aspects into consideration. And so I guess the question at the end of this statement is, is um, you know, when can we see the federal government to start to treat all people um, with respect, regardless of who they choose to love and uh, have a family with? You know, that's a question I don't think any of us are going <laughs> yeah. to be able to answer, but we can have some comments, though. Yeah, I'll just comment on this. This is Christy. Um, it, it's true that... Up to you can immigrate here. A spouse, can, a citizen spouse, can petition for another spouse. And in general, immigration laws recognize any marriage that was valid and legal where it took place as a marriage for immigration purposes. That does not apply to same-sex marriages because of the Defense of Marriage Act. This is a matter that's going through litigation right now. The Board of Immigration Appeals, which is the appellate body for immigration courts, is now considering whether DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, applies in these immigration contexts. And I know that in some limited cases, some same-sex couples have had uh, benefits in that they have had their removal proceedings, their deportation proceedings terminated while these laws are being um, pondered. And, and, that, and that, that, that is true, but I just wanted to add to that. Um, still, people who, um, they're not allowed to go home to see their family, so they have to make a tough choice, because if they leave the country to visit an alien parent or a brother or sister, um, there's no way they'd be allowed to return. So even though they've been given a stay to stay in the United States without being deported, they're essentially trapped here. I mean, they want to stay here. They want to live here. But until the courts resolve um, or overturn DOMA, uh, they basically have to stay. They can't, they can't leave. And so when you're with a same-sex partner who's from another country and their parent is dying, uh, they have to make a choice. Um, you know, maybe I have been granted to stay here longer through the court if I was lucky enough. Or if I want to go see my alien mother, um, I may never be allowed to come back. Um, and so, I, I mean, when we talk about immigration in a lot of ways, but... I think there are real families in this community in Bloomington who are making really tough decisions every day. Um, and that's based on the person uh, that they fell in love with and they want to spend their life with. Yeah. It sounds like all these laws have uh, kind of some unintended consequences and uh, they're just full of, uh, well, a lot of suffering. Um, again, I think much of it unintended, but yet the law is the law. And uh, so people are stuck following the law. Uh, what's your reaction to that, Sherry? Well, I haven't really given that particular aspect much thought, but it seems to me that the solution always seems to be in having people come here, whereas I think maybe the solution ought to include people moving as a family unit to other countries. Um, I have heard of plenty of cases of illegals coming across the border. Let's say the, the father comes into the United States first. He voluntarily separates himself from his family. Maybe his wife comes to join him years later. They leave the children with grandparents. Again, they voluntarily separate their families. Um, now, there are two ways to reunite the families, either bring them all here or let them go back to their homeland. 
and I think maybe that ought to be considered as part of the the options here. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a, a lot of your... Con- when an American citizen chooses to love another person of the same sex, why should a, same, why should, uh, a same-sex couple, why should... If I was the American citizen and I was in a relationship with a same-sex partner who was an immigrant, why should my rights not be the same as a, uh, a straight couple? And then so, you know, I couldn't ask if I had a partner to go, you know, to make that. I mean, I mean, when you look at fairness in American society, and that's what this comes down to, immigration in many ways isn't fair. But in particular to American citizens who have fallen in love and chosen to have families with people of the same sex. And so it complicates it, but we, if we're going to be a society built on fairness, then we really have to address the issues at hand. Right. Well, Mike, I think you've made your point about that, and thank you for bringing that up. That's one that uh, just one of many others, uh, difficult, difficult questions on, on this issue. But thank you for bringing that one to our attention. Christy has a response to that, too. Well, I, thank I, you, I just wanted to add, when we were talking about the history of immigration, one thing that we haven't discussed that's really important is that the immigration laws do not really take into account the economies of the world. And one thing that happened in the 1990s is that the United States entered into a free trade agreement with Mexico called NAFTA. And as a result, we started exporting many things, including corn, to Mexico. This has impoverished a lot of farmers there and put a lot of people out of work. And I'm not using this as an excuse for people to enter the country without documentation, but I'm just saying that that is a fact, that people are impoverished, they cannot move home. Um, That is why they have chosen to voluntarily separate themselves and come here seeking a better life. Uh, I also wanted to add one thing to Mike's point, that the immigration laws are very unfair. If you are married to an undocumented immigrant in in the United States, that immigrant cannot get status here in the U.S. He or she has to return to their home country, and they're going to face bars of um, sometimes 10 years, sometimes permanently. It's not like they just get married and change their status here. Hmm. Here's a follow-up question uh, from a caller. It says uh, the caller said they were in a relationship with a person with a green card, and um, that person was in the country legally because of that. The relationship is over now, and yet the person with whom uh, he was in a relationship is still here. How how does that work? Um, Well, you don't – it's unclear from this question whether or not the spouse got a green card through marriage. But if that's the case, then they have a green card. They're they're allowed to live here. Okay. And that's what a a green card is. It's it's evidence of status of lawful permanent residency. Lawful. Okay. Okay. All right. The phone numbers again, 855-0811, 877-285-9348, and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is the website. Okay. We got a little more information from our producer. It says this person has no green card, yet the person is still here. Oh. I, I mean, there's not enough information there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that's very uh, specific, and and we right. need the, the rest of the story. Randy, could you talk about some of the issues that you've seen students face uh, in terms of, of immigration? Uh, some undocumented yeah. students. Yeah. Um, there's a student that I'm working with now, and I'll just we'll just call her Student B, <laughs> um, who was brought here as a child. Uh, parents divorced. Uh, mother brought her here. Mother passed away. Uh, aunt took her in. Wanted to adopt her. Father, back in home country, would not give up uh, adoption rights. This girl has lived in the United States, in Indiana, since she was three years old. Uh, she has no options. Uh, she she can't even get a passport from her home country to go back to her home country. She has no documentation to be here in the United States. Uh, at the time she brought in, she was coming at, brought in as a dependent. She probably her why passport, couldn't she get a, a passport from her own country? Sorry to interrupt, but, but why? Because she does it, she's given she she would have to go to that country or go to the embassy and work with them, and she's clearly a resident here. Mm-hmm. She is she is literally without a home, without a permanent residence mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a girl who managed to pay her way all the way through undergrad. I don't know how she. I mean, she was working babysitting jobs, getting cash. Um, but she paid for her entire undergraduate education. She paid taxes. 
She then um, started a master's program, has completed the first year of the master's program because she was a resident of the state of Indiana. Uh, she was given in-state rates. This law passed. She now has to face un- out-of-state rates for her final year uh, of a graduate program. She still has no hope. Uh, once she graduates, she will have a degree. She won't have a place where she can work because immigration laws will not allow her to do that. Sheree, can you um, you know offer your perspective on that? That's a you know a, an individual case of a of a person who's been here since she was three years old, and she's how old now, roughly? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. So. Well, I don't think we should be basing immigration policy on individual heart wrenching stories. I feel sorry for this girl, but um, she needs to go through the difficult legal method of becoming legal, even though it's difficult and would require her leaving the country. Um, I think that we ought to be following the current federal law, which if you look at 8 U.S. Code 1623A says, and this is about in-state tuition, in general, notwithstanding any other provisions of law, an alien who is not lawfully president present in the United States shall not be eligible on the basis of residence within a state for any post-secondary education benefit unless a citizen or national of the United States is eligible for such a benefit in no less amount, duration, and scope without regard to whether that citizen or national is such a resident. What that means is if the universities in Indiana want to give in-state tuition rates to illegal aliens, then they need to give that same benefit to all their students from the other 49 states. That's not how I interpret that law at all. I think it's saying that if you're, if the state is going to give in-state tuition to, a non, to someone who doesn't have s- status, and they also have to give it to the in-state citizens that are there. I, that's how I would interpret that law. No, the in-state citizens already get it. I know. The out-of-state citizens do not. It says, if you look at it carefully, it says without regard to uh, residents of the citizen. Well, we have a legal dispute here about that. Christy's a lawyer, and and she has a different interpretation of that. Um, Yeah, we had another call come in. um, And, uh, Christy, I think this is something you might want to say whether or not you're – ILS can handle this, but a caller calls in and says that she was in an abusive relationship with a fellow who was here legally, and she wants to know how to stay here. So is that something that she should come and talk to you about, or how does that work? Yeah, I'm obviously not going to give legal advice without knowing more, but I'm not going to do it for confidentiality reasons. But I do want to say that there are benefits available to victims of domestic violence and crimes, and it depends partially on whether the person who was abusing them was their spouse and if that person was a citizen or permanent resident, or if, if in the case that that's not, if the victim of the crime helped law enforcement investigate or prosecute the crime, and then there are some benefits available as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. right we're, we're, we need to go to the phones. We have a phone call. It's Beatrice. Beatrice? Hi. Hi. Go ahead. I just want to compliment the uh, member of the panel who is correctly referring to citizens of the United States as citizens. That's what my passport says, is that I am a citizen, and um, Mexicans are also Americans, because the North American Free Trade Agreement is not Canada, America, and Mexico. It's North America, and that does include Mexicans. Mexicans are Americans. They may not be citizens of the United Mm -hmm. States, and they may not have followed the process to become citizens or to reside here, but Mexicans are Americans. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the call. We go through that in journalism sometimes. Yeah, that does. United States versus America. Right. That's right. I like that, too. Thanks for pointing that out. Right. Okay. Our phone numbers, we have about uh, eight minutes to go. If you want to get in a call before the end of the show, uh, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Right. Called back. And and she wanted to make the point that oftentimes the children, such as as the one uh, we were referencing or Randy was referencing, um, uh, who are here have have no real ties at all to their homeland, um, with the exception of the fact that they were born there 
and uh, that that's it. They, as you said, they may not know the language or uh, you know have any other relatives or uh, way to make their way in that world. Right. No connections. No place to stay. Uh, just nothing to to go back to. Mm-hmm. Sheree, from your uh, perspective, do you know of any um, any any kind of legislation coming up in this session to try to uh, address maybe some of the issues that didn't get done? I know Mike Delft's uh, immigration law was, uh, I'd say, watered down. What he wanted was watered down by the end of the session. Do you see anything coming up this session? No, I haven't heard of anything yet. Sheree, now, if you have on your website, um, it's very well organized, and it talks about your your goals and your mission and uh, what state policy uh, initiatives as well as the – pardon me, federal policy initiatives you would like to see implemented. Um, Do you think that that would uh, have a positive – if those were implemented, those items uh, listed on your website, is it your goal then that that would improve the economy? Is it it more of an economic concern that you have as opposed to a social concern? Or or could you talk about that just a little bit for me? Well, it's both, but my main concern has always been the economics of the issue. I'm more concerned about jobs than anything else. Um, I think a certain amount of immigration is good for us, and the thing is I want them to become assimilated. They can keep certain traditions and things that are important to them. They can speak their own language at home, that kind of stuff. But I think overall they need to pretty much adopt our way of life instead of asking us to change to their way of life. I'm not aware of anybody who's asking citizens of the United States to change their way of life. And in fact, studies have shown that generation after generation, the children of immigrants do assimilate to the United States. And this is an issue that has really has been around for as long as the United States has been around. There have always been immigrants that we disfavor for whatever reason and we say that they don't assimilate this happened with the germans and there are many german communities that did not stop speaking german german until world war 1 so th- this is just this is not a new issue as far as the economics of it the the fact is that there are a lot of jobs that are going unfilled because we need immigrants in those jobs we don't have citizens to do it you can ask the farmers that whose apples didn't get picked or whose corn didn't get picked their their fruit that is rotting in the fields. There are skilled occupations that are not being filled. I think that having a moratorium on immigration, which is what uh, Cherie proposes on her website, is actually going to do more harm than good for our country. It's very restrictionist, and that is really kind of against what the United States has always stood for. Well, and if you want to talk about economic impact, the amount of um, money that international students spend in the United States is is incredible. The the total contribution um, of the estimated economic impact for um, to the state of Indiana is four hundred and forty three million dollars, um, and uh, you know. Uh, I just think that that we need to be looking at the full picture in in a, in a very global sense. Um, as far as assimilation, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying about assimilation, Cherie, but we need to learn about other cultures in order to be globally competitive. And I don't want them to totally assimilate. I want to learn about their culture so that I can be more effective. Rindy, how difficult is it to come to the United States for an undergraduate? Well, degree. They they have to meet all of the requirements for admission um, that any other student uh, has to meet, but it's a little harder for them to take SATs in in some countries. Uh, it's a little they have to prove that they have sufficient English ability. They have to prove that they have uh, enough money to pay for their tuition uh, before they are issued a visa. Then they have to go to a visa interview and pay an application fee to to even to get to the visa interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the course of the conversation with the visa officer, which actually goes very fast, um, they have to be able to prove that they have ties to their home country, that they intend to go back home. Uh, for an 18-year-old, that's sometimes a difficult case to make. Mm. Now, uh, 
a lot of students are granted visas, but we're hearing increasingly um, that students have to go two or three times to a visa appointment. We learned uh, this year that uh, Mongolia, for some reason, was only approving about 30 percent of the applications that were uh, submitted. So it's not overly difficult, but it is challenging. Mm-hmm. And certainly there needs to be a lot of money involved if, based on the just – you know, not only the the sign up fees, I guess the well, that's what I'm calling them, but you know the interview fees and that sort of thing. But just the sheer fact of once you're here, you know the travel, getting here, and you know the the whole expenses that every college student incurs. Well, the expenses that we ask them to show in order to apply for a visa is forty seven thousand dollars. We do not ask domestic students to prove that they have enough money to be here. <laughs> I can't imagine too many people oh, being able to do that. We have we have less than two minutes to go. Um, I do want to ask Christy, um, and, and I don't want you to give legal advice, but maybe some general advice. I know there, there may be some listeners out there who are undocumented, who don't know what to do, who are afraid of what might happen to them. Mm-hmm. Can you give mm-hmm. them any general advice on what, what they should do? Yeah, and unfortunately for people who are here without any status – Unless they have some family member who's been able to petition for them, the the options are very limited. And I do see a lot of clients who are in this situation, and I just have to tell them that there's nothing that they can do at this time, that uh, there is a relief from deportation called cancellation of removal, but you have to show that you've been here for 10 years, and you have to show that a family member will suffer exceptional and extremely unusual hardship. So... That's it's a pretty difficult thing to do, and there, the I'm the reason that there are so many people here who are undocumented or out of status is because they cannot at all legalize. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are out of time. It's a very interesting topic. I want to thank uh, Cherie from for joining us by phone from Indianapolis. Thank you, Cherie. Thanks for having me. And Christy Pop and Rindy Schrader, thank you for being here in the studio with us. We really appreciate that. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, uh, producer Dan Goldblatt, who is back on the phone today, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.